engaged in speech therapy in school is hard. It's even more difficult as they begin to get older. That's exactly why I've brought Hallie to the Special Education Inner Circle podcast. I'm your host, Catherine, and let's just jump right in. Hallie, thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk all things IEP table and older speech students. Yes. So tell us, how did you end up at an IEP table? Sure. So I I accidentally became an SLP like 15 years ago. I was one of those that went into grad, undergrad having no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up. But I knew I, I know you don't want to hear this. I knew I didn't want to be a teacher. I loved working with children, but I didn't want to be a teacher. And I somehow fell into the SLP realm and I just loved the problem solving aspect of it and that no day was the same to each other and that every student needed something different from me and I can really have such an impact. So 15 years ago, I became an SLP and now I'm an SLP in the New York public schools here on Long Island. And then about nine years ago, I realized that there was nothing on the internet or anywhere out there for older speech students. Um, I was currently working with fifth and sixth grade at the time. Prior to that, I was in a middle school and high school. And even then there was really nothing. Um, I was just pulling things from ESL teachers, reading teachers, and I was having a lot of trouble keeping my students motivated. And I was having some behavioral issues, as you can probably imagine. I had not some nice choice words said to me, like, why am I here with some added adjectives and stuff like that? Um, and I realized I had to do something different. I couldn't keep just bringing in these boring worksheets each and every day and expect my students to perform. I had to get a little bit more under the hood. And I realized that once I understood why they were there a little bit more, I read some more of the research, I spoke to their teachers, I looked more in their files a little more and I realized, okay, They've been getting speech since probably early intervention, and now they are 10, 11, 12 years old. They're embarrassed. They're bored. When, when they see my face, even though I have a big smile on it, they don't care. They want to be with their friends. They, want, they don't want to be singled out for not being able to do something once again. They're being told all day long, hi, you can't. Hi, come to the back table. You need help. Now come to speech because you need help. And I'm, and then I was pulling them from the classes that they actually had a chance in, like art, music. Like those are the things that they, that why they do needed. Why do we always do that? Why do, we, why do we make it like speech is a punishment? Let's pull the kids out of the stuff that they've been looking forward to all week. And then it feels like a punishment. And that's the thing they needed the break in their day in academics. And I'm like, okay, I had to make things fun. I started bringing in some competition. I started bringing materials that were at their reading levels. I realized they can't read. Why am I expecting them to read? Just because the teachers are expecting them to read doesn't mean I have to. Just because I'm working on reading type goals doesn't mean I need to make them read. Um, I'm also working on listening comprehension, so I can just read it to them and I can bring in materials that were not so challenging and such difficult vocabulary. That was, but then it became a challenge that there was nothing out there that was not too cute, that didn't look like a first grade materials. And that's when I started creating resources on Teachers Pay Teachers. Um, Speech Time Fund is, you know, where you can find all my resources and things like that. But I started creating stuff because I realized if I needed stuff that was not too cute, but that were simplified and motivating topics and activities, incorporating games and hands-on activities for these older students, 
someone else has got to need it too. And ever, and ever since I started doing that and changing my way of thinking and planning for my sessions, students were motivated. They love coming back for more. Like I've had one, uh, one of my favorite stories. I had a student, I'd go pick her up the first day of speech. She goes, I didn't sign up for this. Like, and I was like, well, honey, it doesn't really work that way. Like, I, I know you've been doing, and, and I had to have that dialogue with her. Like, I get it. You've been doing this for a really long time. Like to see that speech person coming back again, another year when you know that person sitting next to you probably graduated last year. I get it. And by the end of that first session, she didn't want to leave. She's like, okay. That's amazing. She, she was like, she's like, I don't want to go back to class. Like, I'll stay here. I'm like, see, and you didn't want to sign up for this. <laughs> mm -hmm. I love that. You know, and you just gave so many like nuggets of information in there. It's like one, stop pulling kids from the stuff where their strengths are at to take them out into their weakness to work on that because that steals the joy of that strength that, that they could be working on in a different area. Strength-based IEPs are a huge focus inside of our master IP coach mentorship. So if we're going to be focusing on a child's strengths, making things go from good to great, because we can do that in IEPs. We can go from good to great. We don't always have to go from the biggest deficit just to okay. We can focus on some of the good to great, but if we're pulling out and then we don't have the opportunity to do that. And then the, the other thing that you said is how the student was like, I didn't sign up for this. Like, why are we not talking to our students more about the benefits to them on why they're there and engaging them and helping them see the value of being with you? That is that is so just big. Mm -hmm. And then as you, you were talking about adjusting the way that you were doing therapy to make sure that you are measuring the things that mattered. So instead of making them struggle in something that maybe, you know, leave the teacher to work on the, the reading <laughs> stuff that doesn't apply where you need to be and, and, you know, researching and figuring out what works. So one of the key words that um, I really feel goes through all of these things that you just talked about is one of your focuses on low prep. Like mm -hmm. this does not have to be hard. So it's like, you just poured out a bunch of stuff. We just recap the nuggets. You're like, okay, let's go. And a lot of times it's going to feel like, oh, and now this is just something else that Hallie's going to tell me to do because I'm not doing a good job or I need to do it better or I'm going to, you know, so just, can you explain what you mean by low prep? I mean, you can take something off the shelf or print it out. If you present it to your students that this is the best activity ever. And, you've, and you're excited about it, they'll be excited. So it doesn't need to always be those bells and whistles like your administrators coming in to observe you, that kind of lesson. Like leave that for when they come in to observe you. But on an everyday basis, if you are, if your students are, I always like to keep them on their toes. They don't know what, they, it's not the same activity each and every day. It's not always gonna be the same worksheet or the same game or the same this. When they walk into my door, they're like, what are we doing today? And they're not allowed to say that. I have a sign in my door that says, you're not allowed to ask, what are we doing today? And can we play a game? But I always promise them that we will have fun and you're going to learn something new. So, and that's, and that's, that. and that's the routine, setting it up right from the beginning and building that routine in. And, and by like the second month of school, the students are prompting each other, like, don't say it. She's going to pull away the game. I'm like, I guess we were never playing a game anyway. It's fine. Um, but as long as you're confident that it's something motivating for the students at their right level, it doesn't need to have all those bells and whistles. It can be as simple as, an ed puzzle using a Pixar short video that's five minutes long or a mystery Doug video that's like a nonfiction and a video all about like, they have like ones on like how were emojis created or how do you do magic? And you can work on all those skills 
with something that they're into, which required nothing but a click of a button. As long as you have a true understanding of why you're working on what you're working on and your goals are so specific and measurable and achievable and all that fun stuff, you can apply to any piece of material. So what I heard you just say is you got to get to know your students to find their preferred activities, their mm -hmm. preferred topics of what's yes. happening. Don't assume that every fifth grader is going to be into emojis or don't assume that every fifth grader wants, you know, uh, um, mm -hmm. you know, whatever the other kids are doing. This is a place where you get to individualize and build some relationships and figure out what really motivates them to show up. Mm -hmm. um, explain to me some of the things like like if i was like following you around for for a month and i was kind of like seeing what was happening inside of your speech room versus somebody else's or how you're doing therapies and by somebody else's and by somebody else's i'm just talking stereotypical so we talk a lot in our community about leaving the 1980s version of special education behind and i'm gonna call out speech therapy in that because I have a brother who's 43 with Down syndrome. I can remember growing up watching my brother go to speech therapy through the one way mirror, you know, kind of thing, watching him get prompted. I knew what that looked like. I was a special education teacher um, in the 90s. Um, so I know what that looks like in there. So you're mentioning things like videos or, you know, having setting expectations, doing things different with low prep. So what would look different in your sessions versus we're going to call it stereotypical old school habits and speech therapy. I might go against the grain a little bit, but I find sometimes you need to put the data book aside and not be so torn to taking data the entire time. We got to teach our students. We got to be approachable. If, if someone was, if basically that would be like an administrator sitting and grading me each and every day with a clipboard. I'd feel a little nervous. I wouldn't want to show up to that either. So I, I know, I know, I might get some backlash on that. That I know we need some That's data. Okay, go for it. So, but data, it's all good. I'm like, I, I, and and I'm not saying to never take the data, but sometimes the anecdotal data is just as important. So by observing and saying, okay, what what happened? What what worked? What didn't work? Versus five out of ten. 10 out of 10. That's just slashes. That that means sometimes I forget what that even means half the time. I need to be present with my students to the point where like, let them have fun. Like, so one day this year, I, I my coworker who we shared a wall, he came into my room and goes, is everything okay in here? I go, yeah, we're, we're just having fun. Someone was cheering that they are winning a game. It's all good, all good in here. Like, I don't care if things get a little rowdy in my room, as long as I can bring them back in, I want them to have fun and enjoy being there versus me collecting data and just drilling to the point where they're bored. I have to teach them. I have to show them that learning can be fun and that they can be successful. And then at the end, before they leave, like prompt them a couple of times and take some quick data before they leave. So you don't have to be stuck to your clipboard or your sticky note or your dry erase marker or however you're taking data. Like don't be, don't be stuck to it to the point that it takes away from your student. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And that's something that, you know, you do see very often if you go in and you see a session and you see the clipboard. So it's attention to the child, attention to the clipboard. And it's a constant varying back and forth. Mm -hmm. And I am, you know, I can just imagine, I guess I, I really never thought about it as, you know, that, that 10 year old, 12, 13, like, stop judging me. Why am I here? What's going on? So mm -hmm. I, 
they're old enough to realize that something's going on and like they see you marking things was wrong. They they see that and they're not gonna wanna keep working at something where they keep seeing you marking things as wrong. You're better you're better off teaching them how to get it right versus focusing on writing yeah. things down. You know, I was actually on one of our episodes here, we were talking to Dr. Eric Raj, I believe is how we say mm -hmm. his last name. And he was talking about even getting the students involved in taking data on themselves. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yes, like that. And, and, you know, just giving yourself permission. And it's like, okay, now you've added a layer onto that. Give yourself permission as the practitioner to put the clipboard aside for a little bit mm -hmm. and, and you'll get the data. We're, we're never saying skip the data, but we're saying it's okay to prioritize the child, um, at, you know, first in that. It's so true. So like I asked them, how do you think you did today? You'll be surprised. They might be more honest than we, we would have been for them. So. <laughs> um, so you mentioned middle schoolers, which is a tough, tough age of just in general, I'm a mom. I've been through the middle school years. I don't want to go back to them. You know, like we're good. Um, and that, so that, that's tough. Have you worked with older students than like fifth and sixth grade? And do you have some perspective? So we have a lot of, um, you know, especially our parents that are listening that have then their um, 14 to 18 year olds that may be spending some time in their self-contained classroom or working on job training, transition, you know, those type of things. And quite honestly, it's very frustrating when we see little to no progress in speech or communication. And my gut instinct is always like, what can we switch up? Like, why are we still working on the same goal that we're working on in third grade when we're in ninth grade? Like, so can you help me troubleshoot that? Like, can yes. you give us some ideas? Of course, I have worked with high school. I have worked in like a BOCES program and different things. You have to step out of the speech closet and be pre and have the, especially when you get with the older ones, you really need to sit in in team meetings, getting to know the curriculum, and say, okay, hmm, I know that my speech and language students are struggling with X, Y, and Z, and they're still seeing these low scores on the self or whatever whatever standardized test you're using. Because sometimes we need to go beyond the standardized test because they're not going to. There is data to show that we can work on language skills up the wazoo, and it might not move the needle on standardized testing. We need to look at the big picture of what are they needing in their classroom? What are they needing out in the environment? What will help them socially? Even ask them, maybe you have a student that wants to ask a girl out on a date or ask them to the prom. That's something you can work on. That doesn't have to always be like working on the main idea or categorization. How many times can we work on synonyms? They might not ever get it. We have to work on strategies and compensatory things to help them be successful when things get difficult. What, what are some different tricks they can do to um, accommodate for their weaknesses? We might not always be able to, I hate to say we can't always fix everything, but we can help them be as successful as possible and build their confidence. So by asking the teachers, asking the parents, asking OT, asking the kids, that like, it's so important. That's why there's reason why in high school, like kids are part of the IEP process. They're at the meetings for a reason. We want to hear from them. I love that self-advocacy. We mm -hmm. need to have more self-advocacy at what, whatever level a child is able to participate. I, you know, my brother, um, you know, he has 
Down syndrome speech patterns, we'll just say. I would say he speaks Down syndrome kind of thing. And, and so he's really into sports and he's really into numbers and he can pair up the numbers and the, and the last names. But let's just face it, all of us have difficulty saying last names and he's not necessarily reading it. He's listening to the announcer say it. And so he's learned to use his iPhone as his prompt. So when he's trying to tell me that so-and-so got traded to such and such team, and I'm like, I have no idea, buddy, like what you're talking about. Like, I don't keep up on, he will pull up the app, scroll to what he saw, show it to me, and we'll kind of double check his facts. So I love the idea of being able to use technology and connect in that real world of that social of what's happening. When you say asking somebody to go to prom or just self-advocating in the classroom, I want our parents especially who are hearing this, you have a voice at the table to say like, I don't want my child in the speech room. I want, you know, kind of like what we call like push in services. That's our old school term for it. Or like in the real world, just integrated in, let's figure this out. So I appreciate all of those ideas. Um, and, and, to piggyback, and to piggyback off of that, teachers, let us, we want to come in and push in, but we have to work together. Like we don't want to be in the, your room and feel like, like a para. We want oh, to preach. We want just keep going, Hallie. So what can <laughs> they do? We're going to go there for a minute. What can a teacher do? Especially let's, let's look. And I think it's different when we're in the elementary years, it's a little bit more collaborative and cutesy all around, even for staff. Mm -hmm. um, so let's talk middle school and up. And here you are as a speech therapist and you're trying to collaborate. So what is it? What should a teacher be doing? Inviting us to team meetings giving us a copy of your lesson plans ahead of time, or like, we don't need that like thorough, but like give us a blurb. What is the topic? What might you be assigning the kids for homework? Give us a copy of the worksheets. If you're making copies of packets for the week, give us, throw it in our mailbox, send us an email. We know that we might, speech therapists have caseloads of hundreds of kids sometimes, and that we might not always have the same prep periods. Some, some assemblies don't even have any. And we don't, we're not asking you to come in early or stay home late, you know, stay later, but, just sending that quick email in the beginning of the week when you're working on your lessons. If you know that SLP is coming in on Tuesday at 10 a.m., Tuesday morning, Friday, Monday afternoon, just send them a quick email. This is what we're working on. I would love it if you can help with X, Y, and Z. Or this way you can have, the, or maybe do you have any ideas of how we can help, you know, so-and-so student? Because they don't want to feel like a parallel, like they're just standing there, just watch. They don't want to step on any toes either. So... I've been that person where I've stood there and I'm like, okay, I guess I might as well just pull them out because I'm not being effective here. But the benefit of when, they, as they get older, we want it to be carrying over into the classroom as much as possible. We need to be supporting them where they're at and working on synonyms and main idea in a pullout setting might not be as effective anymore. So we have some tools. Why a teacher wouldn't be doing that? Like teachers, I'm speaking from experience. Guys, let the speech therapist take the lead if they want to. Let's just say, oh, we're all learning about the solar system. What you got? You never know. They might be like, oh, can I just run a group for the whole class for 20 minutes? And then I'm going to target working with, <laughs> yes. Let, let them take a station, do some station work. Let them take their students in station. Let them take some other students. So this way no one notices who they're there for. Utilize them. But but there has to be some sort of common, not necessarily common planning time, but some sort of common planning communication. I love that. So not necessarily a full on meeting, but let's communicate about that. Okay, so we are 
in a summer break right now when we're recording this. I know everybody has a ton of anxiety about the upcoming school year. Everybody across the country is kind of in a different place. Some people have missed school for 18 months going into the building. Some people didn't skip a beat. Um, there is just a whole different vibe that's going on in special education as we all take a deep breath and get ready to go into the school year. So what word of advice or what are you doing yourself to kind of get yourself prepared for let's say the first 30 days of school, which I know looks so different for a speech therapist than it does for perhaps a teacher or a parent. Mm -hmm. So what are you doing? What advice can you give to your fellow colleagues? Give yourself some grace and give yourself time to take care of yourself this summer, first of all, because I have anxiety about the upcoming school year. And I was in person all last year, but I was lucky that I was able to get a bigger, I was out of my therapy closet because I refused to be in it last year. Um, but I've been told I'm going to go back to my closet and I have anxiety of what happens if the mask mandate is removed and that, you know, there's no windows and circulation of air. So I have that anxiety Wait, as well. Let's clarify for people because people don't realize that you're not making a joke. I'm really in a book room that like there to the point where the secretary's like, what's your room number? I'm like, there is no room number. It's a closet. Like they took out the books and not, now I'm in there. Like it was really storage. Yeah. So there, there really is, there's no windows. There's, there's heat pumping in and nothing coming out. Like it's no joke. Like, so, so if kids have to know, are not wearing masks and there's, there is anxiety, but I'm going to give myself some grace and say the first week of school, it's okay if we move a little slower to jump into things while we're navigating what is normal and functional this year. Let's, the kids are going to be uneasy as well. They haven't, we haven't seen their faces in a year. And if you did, it was over a screen. So I have students that haven't, I have, I did have a quarter of my case with that was virtual. They need to learn how to be students again. We, we need to not be so jumping into curriculum per se. We need to remind them how to be students, how to sit at a table, how to wait, how to raise their hand. They can't just you know, mute themselves and turn the camera off and go to the bathroom. They have to ask to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so we have to remind them of all the rules about school again. So it's okay if it takes a little bit longer to jump into curriculum. Absolutely. You know, I'm just thinking as you're, you're painting this picture of what's going to happen, which is 100% true of all the things. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness. And the level of exhaustion that people are going to feel, including children, after going back somewhere five days a week, full on, full energy, and our communities are back up and running, which means that there's after school things to do. And then there's family gatherings happening and like everybody's getting back to, it's like we have lost our stamina in some ways of, of what we used to do. We had to build up Zoom stamina and now we have, a, you know, we have to get back to that. So definitely give yourself some grace, give yourself some rest. So Hallie, thank you for being here today with our special education inner circle podcast listeners. I'm going to make sure that they get the list of all the links of all the places to find you. I know you have a podcast because I just did an interview for that. Mm -hmm. So there's a podcast, there's a TPT store. I think that you and I found each other on Instagram. So please go follow Hallie everywhere. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me.